0: Every aspect of your e-commerce business impacts customer experience. From advertising and packaging, to product functionality, website usability, and even reliability, your long-term growth and profitability will hinge on your ability to deliver the best experience for your buyers, and this podcast will show you how. Tune in monthly for actionable and insightful discussions with the brightest minds at the intersection of e-commerce and customer experience. Welcome to the e-Commerce Customer Experience Podcast presented by Digital Genius. I'm your host Chris Kellner. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the e-Commerce Customer Experience Podcast. On our previous episode, we had the privilege of hosting Annette France, who shared valuable insights on maximizing customer experience and the use of AI, fostering employee experience and cultivating a customer-centric culture. Today, we have this pleasure of speaking with a true powerhouse in the world of customer experience, digital strategy, and innovation. With over 18 years of experience in consumer-focused industries, including luxury goods, retail, and hospitality, our guest today has a proven track record of advising boards and partnering with CEOs to drive high-value initiatives and delivering sustainable growth for some of the world's leading organizations. Please join me in welcoming Danielle Anderson. Hi Danielle.
1: How are Hi, you doing? Chris. I'm great. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. And Danielle, to give you kind
0: of brief, short introduction, and I'll hand it across to you. Danielle's professional experience includes working with major multinational corporations such as the Boston Consulting Group, Burberry, and Richemont, Dunhill, as well as the emerging startups such as Harrison Hooley and Honest Burgess. Her experience in building unique brand experiences and driving sustainable growth has earned her a reputation as one of the most sought-after advisors in the field. Danielle, over to you. Can you tell us a little bit more about
1: your journey? Absolutely. So I think like many of us, my career has been made up of trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. (laughs) And it did start with a bias. Uh, Digital is in my DNA. Both my parents worked for 30 years at IBM. And so my natural kind of first roles were in technology. And what I realized is it still felt something Was kind of missing. So I went on this journey of discovery and looked after, you know, looked to get as many experiences as possible with a variety of companies and a variety of disciplines and a variety of regions. And, you know, had the blessing of working with some amazing brands, both on the client side, but also as a consultant. And what that's been able to do by working with the Burberrys, the Boston Consulting Groups, the Amrests of the world, the Vista Villages of the world, the, you know, Chelsea Football Clubs is it's allowed me to see so many different experiences, structures, and ways to actually look at the customer and how the customer is kind of a full person in their whole lifestyle that uh, I have to say, I'm kind of living the dream right now, having so many wonderful experiences, but still a lot more to come.
0: Fantastic. That's quite some roster of brands that you've worked with. Danielle, Maybe before we get started, I'd love you to kind of share, You know, what would you describe as the qualities of a good customer experience
1: leader? It's challenging. I think It requires somebody who, you know, can balance a dichotomy of capabilities. So on one hand, someone that's very intellectually curious and is a thinker, but someone who also can, you know, be aware of reality and have a bias towards action in the real world. It's someone who is not only passionate about the details, but also can pull back and see the bigger picture. It's someone that can live both physically or seamlessly in the physical and digital worlds, but most importantly i think it's someone who i think the best way i like to describe it is a conductor right so you think about all the different instruments in an orchestra or all the different teams in an organization and someone who can lead the customer experience really needs to be able to tie together everything that marketing's doing technology's doing the people teams doing operations and even for example property and interior design to create that simple incredible experience for the customer.
0: I think conductive is actually the best description we've ever had that summarizes it pretty well in one word. I love that. So we hear a lot today, Danielle, of customers talking about being customer, uh, businesses talking about being customer centric. You now, how would you define a truly customer centric brand?
1: Quite simply, actually, it's a brand that unquestionably puts the customer at the heart of everything they do. And they prioritize that long term relationship above all else. So if you think about a lot of brands who might get caught up, especially right now when we're in a challenging economic time and they make they do a lot of cost cutting and make short-term decisions, but all of that will be at a cost to the customer experience. So it's constantly putting the customer at the heart of everything you do.
0: That's really interesting. And maybe Daniel, could you give us you know, an example, some examples of where you know you've really seen brands doing a really good job.
1: Yeah, so I've got brands that I've worked with, and also brands that, as a customer, I'm quite a fan. So a brand that I've worked with that's quite incredible. Many of us know Pets at Home, especially if you have a little fur baby at home, or you've got a fish, or you know any type of of, of pets. And what they've done, we had an incredible uh, project where we created a north star for the entire organization. And what that did it was a, a literally a customer experience map. And it aligned all teams and gave them a sense of not only what their place was in the customer experience, but how they contribute, how people, processes, and technology overlap. And all of these complexities in our organization to make quite a straightforward, incredible, not only one-time customer journey, but lifelong customer experience. And I think some of the other things that they did that I absolutely cannot take credit for is that they had commitment from the leadership team. So it was a priority in the organization, but you also could see artifacts of why this was important, not only in their KPIs, but also in their conversations, having customer champions in the room. So it's an example for me of an organization that holistically has thought about how they can be customer centric, but not only talk the talk, also walk the walk. That's really interesting as
0: kind of Pets at Home is a great example of a big, I guess, UK retail brand that that everyone knows pretty well. But maybe you could give a sense of maybe how, what you kind of, when you you maybe started working with them, how they kind of implemented that change from from driving the whole organization around kind of a customer-centric goal.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think we can't deny the truth. In an organization, if you're going to focus on the customer, it really does need to be a commitment from the leadership team, and that commitment is something that is a commitment of time, it's a commitment of budget, it's a commitment of conversation about the customer. And so that's something that you know Pets at Home did incredibly well. They had a fantastic leadership team, um, not only the executive committee but at all levels that truly were committed. It was part of their culture. It was it was part of their values in prioritizing the customer, and actually a really kind of fun fact is the customer is not just the pet owner, it was also the pet. And so just the way that they creatively thought about that, and then again, as I mentioned, to execute it, it's about setting measurable targets and constantly checking in on those and constantly have conversations and also collaborating. So it wasn't just a one-time effort, but how do you bring those cross-organizational teams together on a periodic basis in a reasonable governance structure so that it's an ongoing habit, and it's just a part of how business is done.
0: Interesting. And you mentioned KPIs and, and metrics, and I think actually quite a lot of people joining us in this podcast have been thinking about like what are key customer service KPIs and metrics. And I'd love to hear, Daniel, your thoughts, maybe not specifically pets to home, maybe that's information you, you don't want to share, but just kind of in general. you know, What would you say is... Um, the key KPIs and metrics that the brand should be tracking to ensure that they really are meeting their needs of their customer?
1: Sure. So if you don't mind, I want to take one quick step back. I think before you even get to the KPIs, one of the first things that I do in any consulting assignment or in any role that I've had is I ask if they've mapped the customer journeys, if they have a bigger picture of the customer experience. And more often than not, they don't. And it's something that people, you know, they know kind of their own pieces. But until you bring all of that together, you cannot find out A, which points of a customer experience that you want to track. There are standardized metrics, which I'll go into in a moment. But I think it's for starting out with having a consistent big picture that everybody's looking towards. And then the next step is there's kind of qualitative metrics, and then there's going to be the quantitative metrics. So there'll be those two factors. But I would also suggest it's not just directly going to the customer, but it's also leveraging your front of house team, your employees who are engaging with the customer and getting their feedback. So if we take some of the qualitative metrics, we naturally have surveys, right? We naturally are asking customers for feedback on our products and services. So the question is, do you have, A standardized or consistent feedback loop where people aren't just rating you one, two, three, four or five, but actually giving you kind of what I call meat on the bone, giving you information that you can respond to, that you can act on. So a lot of the qualitative can be surveys or just the conversations, again, that your employees are having with your customers. And how do you capture that? a lot of uh, tools are out there. I think clienteling is an excellent way. Yes, it's unstructured data, so some people might get me on that point, but I do think it's an important feedback loop. When you think quantitatively, it's going to be a lot of the traditional things, lifetime value, engaged customers, active customers, and there's kind of different types of engagement. There's customers, for example, especially in the luxury world, where they might not be able to afford buying a, you know, a trench coat, for example, but how do you, understand their commitment to your brand by how they engage with you on social media? Do they open your email? So we can almost take all of the touch points and figure out what does success look like in each of those touch points. In-store, is it dwell time? Is it purchasing an item online? Is it getting past the homepage and going to the PLP page or PDP page? Checkout, obviously. So Listen, I can ramble off all the metrics in the world, but I think realistically, it's having a strong sense of how your customers feel about you and having a holistic sense of how you're engaging with them over a period of time. Again, I think my biggest one is the NPS, lifetime value, and then also, like I said, qualitative feedback that you're constantly getting through tools like clientele.
0: That's really interesting. And you've you've touched on, on many different points there, I don't know from your experience, you've had quite a lot of experience with luxury brands and retail brands. How do you think that compares? You know, when you think about the customer and designing a customer-centric strategy, you know, how does it compare for kind of a, a luxury brand to maybe a brand like Pets at Home?
1: You know, the beauty of the customer experience—you ask the same questions to build the experience, you just get different answers. So let let me give you an example. When you ask what is the customer journey? What is the path to purchase? That path to purchase will be very similar. You'll have your awareness stage, your engagement stage, your consideration stage, and then hopefully the kind of post-purchase stage in that full loop. So a lot of times when you're building out the experience, you have the same building blocks, the same components. But when you're authentic to your brand, you'll answer what are the priorities of the brand? Because for example, if you're selling food, fast food, that's going to be very different than if you're you know, inviting a customer to come to your latest sustainable hotel. (laughs) And so I think the beauty is the training of a customer service professional, I believe, can be industry and is industry agnostic. It's really interesting, and actually, you know, Daniel, looking at your experience, I know you've had experience across a range of different
0: industries. One being working with Harrison Hooley in the in the, in the coffee space, which is probably very different to your experience at pets at home or with maybe with, with some brands within the Richemont Group. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about, you know, that uh, Harrison Hooley, what what um, what you were doing there?
1: Absolutely. So I joined an incredible team of passionate, customer-focused individuals who wanted to really create a better coffee experience in the industry. And my role was director of digital experience, working with the leadership team and the CEO, um, as well as the siblings, three incredible people, the Tollies, who started the brand. So it was a startup brand, which many people questioned, do we need another coffee shop? And our answer was absolutely. And that experience really was about how do we differentiate ourselves in a crowded marketplace? And the solution, first and foremost, was about literally my first three months of the job are probably enviable (laughs) at a minimum where I just went to all of the coffee shops in London, literally, and just sat there and spoke with customers and observed pain points. And so then by mapping, again, starting with mapping that customer journey in store, anything online with loyalty points, et cetera, we created a customer experience. And from that, it was very clear what was missing what the gaps were, where customers were frustrated. And what we did is we set it. our goal was to figure out how we fix those experiences and maximize the opportunity. So pulled everybody into the room, the property team, the people team, the marketing team, the finance team. We needed the budget, the CEO, and really said, if this is the current state of the industry and the customer experience and where we're failing. For example, let's remember, and let's go back to 2013, where all of loyalty was on a little paper business card. And how many times can we relate to the fact that you get five stamps and it was six stamps, but oops, you left it at home or on your desk at the office. So that was just one pain point that we wanted to fix. And the beauty of digital, it was a solution in addition to retraining our people, updating our processes, changing our store layout to create an incredible experience. And ultimately, what it resulted in was an app where you could check into any of our 53 shops, put your phone away. You would walk up, Chris, and say... Hi, I'm Chris. And we'd say, welcome back, Chris. Would you like your usual? And you would say yes. We would know what that order is. We would read it back to you. And we, if you had earned all those points and it was a free coffee, ask if you wanted to use them. And what that really did is it created a personalized familiar experience that almost felt like magic, but truly the solution was the information we captured in the app and that we shared with the Till and that digital conversation that was happening in the background of the human connection. So it was an incredible experience. Customers loved it. And the best part about it was those customers didn't say that was the best digital experience I've had. They just loved the brand, but didn't know why. And I think that is the brilliance of a great customer experience. When you make a customer feel a strong, positive emotion, but they don't exactly know why, because you've done the work.
0: No, I think that's really interesting. A lot of what you said earlier on in the podcast you wouldn't have thought could apply to the to the world <laughs> of coffee and I have to be Danielle full disclosure in preparation for today I did actually go and visit a Harrison Hooley store uh well coffee shop and I have to say the coffee is also fantastic <laughs> brilliant Daniel, <laughs> so, you probably worked also with a lot of brands that you see you know making a lot of mistakes when mm-hmm. trying to embark on say a kind of kind of a successful customer-centric strategy? You know, what are some of the common mistakes that you see businesses making today?
1: I mean, I think one of the first ones is that customers and a customer experience is not something you can do overnight. I often feel that companies try to run before they walk. There's some fundamental basics that are before the big investments in CRM tools or feedback platforms, etc. So the first mistake, is sitting down with, again, a representative team of people, not just from every discipline, but people that have been at a company from different tenures and saying, what do we want from this customer experience? It's thinking first. It's strategizing first. It's it's not suddenly putting in a bunch of solutions where you don't know the purpose. So it's, it's saying, what do we want to do? Why do we want to do it? And then going to the how. I think the other mistake that I, I find is people... Often, and I hear this phrase, oh, well, everybody owns the customer experience. And when you look around, you're like, but if all of you own it, who's truly accountable for bringing this picture together and delivering? So the second often mistake that I see is that there isn't, and I'm not suggesting you don't, you shouldn't have everybody have some responsibility in that journey. But there has to be one person, as I mentioned before, being the conductor, one person that has a seat at the table. It's similar to you think about a chief financial officer or a chief people officer. It would be unheard of not to have this role in many organizations because you have someone that's championing people, someone that's looking after the finances. So then why don't we have someone who's looking after the customer, who has a seat at the table, who's the customer ambassador? So I'd say that's the second thing. And then the third thing is not setting up that day to day. So you have the strategy, you've got the person, but then you've got to live it, you've got to breathe it, you've got to have day to day focus on the customer. So how do you do that? Again, a lot of that comes in the metrics the measurements, even the process by which you train your retail team to think about the customer, even by being in a meeting room. Every meeting should be asking, well, what's the impact on the customer? So I think for me, walk before you run, make sure you understand why you're doing it. So put a strategy together first, make sure there's a person owning that strategy and is responsible for collaboration, and then make sure that you're measuring it, you're tracking it, and you're changing your processes and the way you go about your business to make sure you're living and breathing it.
0: You know, Daniel, that's really interesting. And it's actually something that we talked about a little bit previously here on the podcast is one interesting initiative to get this kind of process started is to try and bring, I don't know if it's the CEO or someone from the executive team for for a kind of a, maybe a large retail brand into the call center, and start mm-hmm. to hear actually some live interactions. And I think Daniel, kind of Daniela kind of sits to a lot of what you've just said in terms of how do you get executive buy-in, have someone owning it, and kind of build from there.
1: And Chris, you've hit on actually a critical point and something that happened at Harrison Hall, which was a great lesson for me when I started at Harrison Hall before I actually sat down and got my computer and got into the kind of whiz bang world of your normal day, I was required to do two weeks of training as a barista. And what that did was not only help me understand the front of house team better and their experience, but it also put me in front of the customer. And by living and breathing that, the context that that carried into everything that I did from that day forward was critical. So I would actually say, you've hit on another really important point, Even in the onboarding program, I believe every organization should find a way before a person truly starts their job where they interface with a customer. If you're a digital brand, you do a call center. If you're a physical brand, put them on the shop floor. Make sure that they understand the context before they actually start their role, because that will have an immeasurable and valuable impact on how someone thinks and responds and makes decisions from that day forward in an organization. And Daniel,
0: looking to the future a bit, and there's a lot of, you know, interesting technologies and emerging technologies going on in the space of retail and e-commerce, you know, what do you think will be the next kind of customer experience frontier in, in the next five to 10 years? And Maybe focusing in on fashion as I'm sure it will be quite different across the different worlds of e-commerce.
1: Absolutely. Well, this is where it gets really exciting. I mean, you know, how far can you dream? And and I think some of the more obvious things that will be, I would say, commercialized and just every brand will be doing will be around generative AI. We have all heard the chat about chat GPT. And I think that that's truly going to allow a number of things. It's going to unlock customer service, right? Especially self-service. If we have tools that are a lot more intelligent and can pull together, you know, um, previous experiences and information in a way that's almost more efficient than humans, although I would always, say that especially in luxury and in fashion, it's important to have the human touch. So you never want to completely replace and brands need to think about that that tension. The other element that I think is one-to-one communications and marketing. If you think about brands seek to you know make sure any type of communication you get, whether it's a phone call, a text, an email, is personalized. And I think that generative AI is going to truly allow us to get to that one-to-one personalization um, that many of us have been seeking. Perhaps on the more exciting front, I think digital twins will be a big thing. And so for me, what a digital twin is, think about your digital personality and almost an avatar that is your correct dimensions and size. And so if you want to try something on online, you would now be able to take your digital twin and take the product, the coat, the trousers, the dress and be able to match that. So brands will have a lot of responsibility, of course, on their side to make sure that they have put in the right dimension of the product so you can visually see and have the confidence that you know when you buy something that that is going to be a perfect fit. And then I think the other thing I'm quite excited about is I think that where and how we buy will fundamentally change. The metaverse is still early stages. Will it in its current form actually survive I don't think so, but I do think there'll be an evolution where you have a much more social and immersive digital experience that sits between a version of the metaverse and a more sophisticated of online shopping right now version of that, where you actually still have your sales associates interacting, right? And that would probably leverage that digital twin. So I think there are so many exciting things to come. And I think the reality is... We've got to be prepared and start to already test and learn some of these new technologies to make sure that the customer has a great experience when they do become something that is a norm for, for the average customer. It's really interesting. You mentioned that. We've actually seen some
0: prototypes actually only in the last few weeks for some really cool brands that we work with. And I think that, yeah, you're, you're spot on there. That's going to be a really interesting evolution in the, in the fashion space that we'll see probably in the in the not too distant future. Yes. So Daniel, last question, and we love to ask this question to everyone that comes on the podcast. You know, as, and you have so much experience, I'd love to hear you know, what when you look around the world today. You know, what is a brand that you really admire?
1: So there are a lot of brands I admire. In fact, one that comes to mind is Rafa, uh, but I'm actually going to go for a brand that many people haven't heard of, and it's called Patch Plants. So if you think of your home and wanting to buy a plant. This is a lovely brand where even from the beginning of the online journey, there's an education component and a very personal and enjoyable experience to figure out what plant you want to put in your home. In fact, there's even a quiz that you would do up front. And what I love about it is they they've thought about the full customer journey where it's not just in that awareness and engagement and figuring out the right plant to buy. But actually, once you buy the plant, they have thought as a digital brand, how do you create an incredible physical experience when you receive the product? And so in my experience, I bought this Kentia palm, which by the way, they named Ken and they put this little card about how to treat Ken. And when the customer representative came with the plant, I was like, oh, I'd like it in that corner. He's like, actually, Ken is not going to do well there. He needs more light. He needs, you know, and what was beautiful about that is what it did. And I think this is a big lesson for digital brands is you still have to figure Think about that physical moment when your customer receives the product. And since then, I've gone back. And again, it's also their range of products and how they think about, you know, the compliments. And so I I really enjoy it because it's a simple brand. It's a simple concept, but it's wonderfully executed.
0: That's a really great example. I have to be honest, I actually have two patch plants at home and I've had them quite a number of years. So I would echo everything that you've just said about everything that that brand is trying to create in a kind of in in a very different space.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful.
0: Well, Danielle, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and hopefully we can welcome
1: you back soon. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. The
0: e-commerce customer experience podcast is brought to you by Digital Genius. Digital Genius uses cutting edge AI technology to streamline response times for support tickets the platform allows for flexible integration to your existing systems and control over your processes while significantly improving key performance metrics. To find out more about Digital Genius and how our intuitive platform combines AI integrations and workflows to make your customers, team, and mailbox happy, head to digitalgenius.com. Also, make sure to search for e-commerce customer experience in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Digital Genius, thank you for listening.